0: It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson's here. We'll take a look at the newest Firefox. What's new? Uh, A little bit about Mountain Lion, OS X, and its security features. And we'll hear from Paul Vixie, the guy who practically invented DNS, talking about why his company, ISC, helped the FBI take over servers to protect people infected with DNS changer. Paul explains all next on Security Now. Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This is TWIT. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android. Featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com android. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 361, recorded July 18, 2012. DNS Changer. Security Now is brought to you by... Ford featuring the MyFord Mobile smartphone app for electric vehicles. The MyFord Mobile app makes the electric driving experience fun and efficient. Learn more about Ford electric vehicle technologies at ford.com/technology. And by Audible.com. To download a free audiobook of your choice, visit audiblepodcastcom now. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you, your loved ones, and all you know, all about you. For privacy and security online, then nobody better than the explainer-in-chief himself, Mr. Steve Gibson. Hello, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you again, as always. I was uh, just showing Steve some fine cabernet sent to me by <laughs> a, a viewer. I'll save it for you, because I know you're a cab that's, fan. That's my poison. Yep, <laughs> I Preferred poison. So today I'm really interested because you know I was I have been and I remain so and I'm I'm willing to have my mind changed. Somebody tweeted me cuz I we were talking uh, about another topic. I think it was Windows or Microsoft's strategy and I changed my mind on the air cuz Andy Anako convinced me that Microsoft's strategy was actually good for consumers. And uh, and I said Wait, I th- well th-
1: th- th- there is a strategy? I well that was my it. problem.
0: But, you know, they – but, but, but I, I thought this is a badly run company. They're telling people ahead of time that here's a new version of the phone system, Windows Phone 8. It is going to be available sometime in the future, and any phone you buy today will not be upgradable. I, that to me was like Osborne, the Osborning of uh, Microsoft saying, don't buy it. Whatever you do, don't buy the current product because a new better one's coming and you can't upgrade. And uh, he, he kind of convinced me that, yes, but it isn't this uh, honest – telling consumers this is you know apple would never do that but really isn't it more honest to say look we got something better coming along <laughs> it's bad for business and so i changed my mind and somebody tweeted me saying you you're, you're such a flip flopper and i and i really wanted to kind of say no there's there it's appropriate to change your mind when presented with, with new information new information and if there's Absolutely. a so i am prepared i all of this a long way around saying i'm prepared to change my mind on my position, but I'll restate it, that the FBI mishandled DNS Changer, that they should not have kept that uh, DNS server running silently along until last week, that they did us all a disservice. But but I guess we're going to talk about that today.
1: Well, yeah. Um, what I liked was that I ran across a a really nice sort of retrospective, here's what happened by... The God of DNS, and I'll set this up after we get caught up with the week's news, by by explaining a little bit more about who Paul Vixie is, because I mean he's he is DNS for all intents and purposes. He he, uh, wrote BIND, which is the original uh, DNS. Yeah, I think it's like from version four point something to eight point something, so like four point two through eight point two. He was the chief officer, um, and and what I what I liked about what he wrote was there were a number of useful insights that I thought would first of all this gives us some really great background. This was all sort of brought to the to fore because I was surprised by the amount of popular press that uh, this is weekend before last, the the weekend before the Monday that these alternative servers the dns servers that had been sort of switched over to and commandeered and um and well you know we'll we'll, we'll explain all this but but i was surprised how much of the popular press got involved warning people that malware was going to strike on monday and it's like okay wait a minute it already struck (laughs) way the wrong message (laughs) and i and so it's like okay and so Anyway, so I saw what Paul wrote, and I thought, okay, this is there. There's so many really interesting points he makes that they're just it's perfect discussion for us. So that's our podcast yay, for the day. I think people yay. are going to find it really interesting and a bunch of interesting news.
0: And I'm prepared, if need be, to modify my opinion. I can't think. Yeah. Of, I can't think of a single thing that would make me. But <laughs> I, and, and this may not. This it isn't my goal to do so. <laughs> right. Uh, but he hey, but really, I listen. But if Paul Vixie says something. I listen. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, if, I would. If you say internet. something, I listen. If Vixie, there are certain people you just you just know. They know their stuff. All right. Before we go any farther, though, let us talk briefly about our friends at the Ford Motor Company. I want you to go to Ford.com slash technology today and take a look at the amazing uh, technology that Ford is building into all their vehicles right now. Technology like the incredible 2012 Ford Focus Electric, which is available. The first Ford all-electric vehicle that's widely available. They did a, uh, something called, a tr- I think it was a Transit, which was for, uh, which kind of for local um, uh, deliveries, things like that. But now they've got this amazing 2012 Ford Focus, the beginning of an entire line of electric and hybrid electric and plug-in electric vehicles. Uh, This one's all-electric, the most fuel-efficient five-passenger vehicle in America. Excuse me, Google Chrome is bugging me. If anybody knows why Google Chrome does this, it wants me to go through my entire keychain and give it permission one by one. That's why I stopped using Chrome on the Macintosh. Um, So let me just, I apologize, I'm going to have to interrupt this ad. We interrupt this ad for a word from Google Chrome. Go away, Chrome. Chrome. I'm going to force quit it. Thank you. And continue on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the 2012 Ford Focus, available now at EV certified dealers. By the way, big tax break. Big federal tax credit in most uh, cases for this. But here's the thing I thought was very interesting. Ford, <laughs> you see companies do this. You know, We're going to do a uh, demo to give you an idea of what an app should look like. Ford has actually written its own app. For the Focus Electric, I'm sh- this will be part of all of their electric vehicles and plug-in hybrid vehicles, too, as they come out. For BlackBerry, for Android, for iOS, it's the MyFord Mobile app. And uh, it goes along with the MyFord Mobile website, and it allows you to take advantage of all sorts of cool features of the car built into the vehicle, like the value charging feature, powered by Microsoft. Based on your local utilities' participation, Ford customers could take advantage of off-peak or reduced rates from the utility. You just press a button, and that's what happens. It charges at the cheapest time. fact, you can see how much money you've saved. This Apple keep track of how much money you've saved in fuel, how much CO2 you've saved. You can condition... This is... I should go back and... Let me pause this video, because this is kind of cool. The go times thing. Let me see if I can find this. You could tell your car, hey, I am going to be driving at a certain time, and I want you... To con- precondition condition the car cabin, so at four, you know, to seventy-two degrees or whatever, while it's plugged in, there's just so many cool features in here. I want you to give it a try. And, and and when you look at the Ford Focus, this is cool. Look at this; it's got an LED ring around the charging station. So you could go out in the in the uh, garage and you could see the stat the state of charge on that ring. But you can also see it on the app; it'll tell you. You know, it'll tell you how your how how it's going how uh, How the charge is going. This is just really cool stuff. It's the idea of taking a vehicle and making it a platform for the latest technology, for smartphone technology. The big screens in there that allow uh, them to do uh, change controls uh, on the fly. Look at this brake coach. There's a driver's ed feature that teaches you how to get the most out of your electric vehicle. Just on and on and on. Ford.com slash technology. That's the website to visit to find out more. Or visit your EV certified Ford dealer and bring your smartphone so you can try it out today. Thank you, Ford, for your support. Of safety and privacy online with security now. Mr. Gibson. <laughs> let, us, let us get underway. First, Firefox 14 came out. And I knew yeah. there I knew you would jump on this. This is so cool. Go ahead.
1: So um yeah, we're, you know, there. We're now seeing a a chain of releases from the Mozilla folks instead of having, boy, I know Firefox two we had for a long time, then three, finally, then, with four, they began to accelerate their their release schedule. I did see an ex-Mozilla person, and I don't know what you know cross he might be bearing or what axe he has to grind, uh, complaining, saying that this new approach, that the Mozilla team has taken is, you know, lowering the quality of the product as if they're trying to, you know, keep up with the release rate of, of, of Google's Chrome browser. Um, uh, you know, we're from our client standpoint, from the standpoint of users, I see, you know, nice things happening. So we got 13, uh, which then jumped to 0. 0. 0.1 when they fixed a, fixed a couple of little release things. Just recently, in on June fifth, so eh, what uh, six weeks later, we we moved to fourteen. Now, what thirteen gave us was um, the ability for a new tab to show a series of most visited thumbnails, and the speedy protocol was enabled by default. And I ought to mention that that a number of people tweeted me about speedy apparently not being as speedy as we thought it it was one one observation from sort of a grumbly old guy who (laughs) seems to not be very happy (laughs) um with with where http wait no not that uh yeah http 2.0 is headed there are there are a number of sort of converging programs, and there were, uh, and and in this posting, he he attacked all of them on on <laughs> differing reasons, and he did have specific things that that he needed from HTTP uh. that speedy wasn't providing and it's like okay well you know sorry we we you know didn't provide what you wanted so um you know i just think it's good that it's there it is the case that that you can support the protocol and not get a lot of the benefits until you deeply support the protocol that is you know there really needs to be a little bit more engineering going in than just adding a few of speedy's features and you know that's certainly what google did when they were developing it in order to get a sense for what it could really do. So, you know, it doesn't cost us anything. It's like, okay, so now it's enabled by default from Firefox 13 on and certainly is supported by Google's Chrome. So now we're at 14 as of, uh, I think, Monday uh, it was released. It was in the beta chain for a while. And as I understand it, they've got a number of major releases sort of moving along over time. Um, the nice, one of the headline features of 14 is that it now supports Google's searches up in the, well, they have some funny name for it, the wonder bar or something. I can't remember what they call it. <laughs> yeah, the awesome bar, I think. Is the awesome it. bar, right. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, well, I guess that's more awesome than not having it. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, if they're now, since Google robustly supports HTTPS, uh, Mozilla's all of the searches that it's doing for you in the awesome bar at are SSL protected. That's so nice. that's, that's actually nice. great.
0: I mean, it would be nice if they just turned SSL on everywhere, but I guess that's go- right. asking too much. Right.
1: Well, it, you, you need you need to know that you've got it overall on the other side right. that is on on the on the server side. Otherwise, attempting to SSL when not being instructed to. Can really slow things down oh, okay. because you're, you're going to fail. You're not going to have oh, a certificate. Okay. So then you got to back off and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, they uh, sort of in a bug fixy thing. They're now offering full screen support for Firefox under Mac OS X Lion. Yay! Which, yes, which they didn't have before. Especially since you seem to have you were just saying a second ago that you were backing away from chrome for i've been moment. using
0: safari because chrome is slow and buggy on uh, mac os 10 and so i'll i'm
1: trying firefox 14 I'm, i made it my default yeah. browser today just just to see and then uh something that we have touched on since it's been in the works for a number of their major versions is that they, they, it's known sometimes as click to play and other times as opt-in activation for plugins. That's sort of the formal name in their developer docs. And it's at, it's at the preliminary stage now with a release target for version 16, so a couple more, obviously, major releases from where we are at 14. It's disabled by default, but once again, you can go to about colon config. Anyone who wants to play with this, the idea is it is, it is... It's giving us, for, for the Firefox users who really do want the sense of and the reality of more control over their web serving experience. I would say what I recognize clearly is that we're all not cut from the same cloth. There are people who just, you know, they're, they're not into security, they're not into the experience of using the internet the same way probably listeners to this podcast more tend to be, you know, those of us, for example, who are using script and don't mind saying, OK, wait, this website doesn't seem to be working right. Let's, you know, enable scripting and see if that fixes it so that we're in general not surfing with scripting enabled. Now, natively in Firefox, you'll be able to not surf with plugins enabled like Flash, like Java and you know anything else that is an add-on to your browser unless you selectively enable it for a page and you're now able to do per-site enabling so that you could say well you know uh, when i'm a, if if i have a plugin that that google wants to run then fine i'll allow google to do it but not if i'm randomly surfing around the web and get zapped and in fact uh we'll be talking a little bit later in this podcast about a new multi-platform Trojan, which has been found, uh which infects uh Windows machines, Mac machines, and Linux machines. It said equal infecting uh opportunity Trojan. So um so you know, there's some obviously some benefits to not running with plugins going all the time. This is built into 14 disabled, so you go about colon config. And then, since that page is ridiculously full of settings, you want to search. Just put it, put the, put the phrase "plugins" into the search term. Even so, you get a huge list of things. Look about two thirds of the way down, and the art the item you're looking for is plugins.click to play." It'll be set to false normally. You can just double click it to turn it to enabled, and uh, and restart Firefox and and experiment with this new feature. So anyway, I'm I'm delighted that they're moving forward. I'm a little upset with Chrome at the moment because it really seems to be suffering from what Firefox was suffering from for quite a while and that is it's become quite memory uh uh intensive. I will I mean bloat is the word I'm trying to th- <laughs> trying to work around saying if I launch it it squats on about 333 megs of RAM, just firing it up. It, it, I mean, I love their security model, that they have a separate process model, and they're communicating cross-process, that each tab is in its own process. There's There's a lot architecturally that I think they've done well. I hope at some point they will, as the Mozilla folks did, realize whoa um while we've been busy adding things this thing has gotten really big we need to now step back and and get this under control because i mean it's you know i just i have you know task manager running in windows and i launch chrome and you know as i said about a third of a gig of memory is just gone taken by and that's without any expensive pages loaded so at some point, I hope they are going to get that under control. Speaking of which, um, they have just taken themselves, that is Chrome, to version 20. Uh, and it's, you know, 20.0.1132.57 0. 0. and counting. Uh, they fixed three critical vulnerabilities. Uh, two were used after free errors where where memory is released, but there's still a pointer to it which a clever hacker can use in order to exploit that fact, that dangling pointer, essentially, in order to execute code of their choosing. There was also something that they described as a layout height tracking bug, which they call a critical vulnerability. So somehow someone clever found a way to, uh, to do that. And in fact, the guy's handle is M-A-I-U-B-I-Z. He's someone who has found many bugs in the past, and I had forgotten that they have a security hall of fame at chromium.org, and they really do pay out. Uh, The the top two guys who have been finding bugs have earned for themselves each $60,000 by finding That's and report bad. You could make a living yeah, doing that. It is. And in fact, just for these three critical vulnerabilities, uh this M I A U B I Z guy, who's number 3 on in on the Hall of Fame, um although he's ranked there with a bunch of others who also have made $10,000, for these three he received $8,000, and I don't know whether that that thousand was updated on in the hall of fame list yet but so yeah you know there's there are guys there who have made $60,000 thanks to Google's paying people for finding problems which i think is you know effective for them um this also includes some stability improvements for the browser as well as updates to the flash player plugin a uh, flash player plugin the flash player plugin okay <laughs> And and, uh, their JavaScript engine, V8, uh, has also been improved. So, you know, they continue moving it forward. And just after the podcast last week came to the news was the fact that Yahoo lost control over 450,000 logins for their voice messaging uh, service um, and and they of course learned the way these companies do these days unfortunately because their email their their customers email addresses and plain text passwords were posted publicly so this tells us not only was their security not up to par because it was an, an SQL injection was able to go in and query a an SQL backend database that was available so not only was that a problem but what was stored in that database was plain text passwords no hashing being done so i mean it, it was oh, and and the way um uh the way people began to see this also this and we see this also was that they you know people began to get their accounts hacked so um the hackers stated that they posted the data to highlight the need for improved security. It's like, okay, well, good. And Yahoo's response was, we are moved aggressively to fix the problem, which I guess is better than being unaggressive about fixing it. So, uh, and I, in, in the news, what, I guess in the next, last day or two, Leo, yesterday, Yahoo, uh, yeah, yeah, Meyer. Yahoo has acquired a new president. So, and that's
0: actually very exciting. Uh, it's a daunting task. I was but- going to say, don't you think it's too late? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's so funny. Technology companies uh, up and down, up and down. It's very volatile, and yeah. I think that they having can s- them s- that's right. Yahoo is still a strong property, and having somebody like yes. Marissa Meyer at the head, yes. there's a lot to do. Uh, but I think she can bring. She's such a marquee name. Yeah, it's, it's a shock, frankly. Nobody had talked about it uh, her at all, and we don't know how it happened. But I think this is this is it's the best possible scenario for Yahoo. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Let's so. Hope. Here's a really interesting scenario that I that I thought is also a, a perfect cautionary tale for our listeners. And um, Mark Rusanovich's second book is not out yet. Um, I've read it, and it's going to be coming out in September. He said he has agreed to appear on the podcast, so we're, we're going to get. Yes, we're going to get Mark R on to talk about uh, the book and the things that it talks about because. I can't think of a better fun fictional, but boy, is it fact-based read. It it reads like a novelization of many of the things we talk about on the podcast. So here is a true story that reminded me of Mark's book. And this was uh the 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 uh honline.com reported this that A number of infected USB drives were recently left in the car park of a Dutch chemical firm, DSM, and they're they're DSM.com, in a failed corporate espionage attempt. According to a recent um, report from a Dutch newspaper, and I went there, but it was in Dutch, so I didn't make very much progress there because I don't speak Dutch. But it's Bagblad de Limberger is the newspaper's name. Said the drives were planted by an unknown party in the hopes that one or more of the company's employees would find them, pick them up, wonder what's on them, and insert them into their office computer. Um, but – this was foiled because instead of plugging it in one of the company's systems, the employee who found one of the USB sticks turned it over to that company, DSM uh, uh, Chemicals IT department. Upon examination, the IT department discovered that the drives contained malware that was set to automatically run upon being inserted into a computer. The malware is said to have been a keylogger designed to capture usernames and passwords and access that company's internal network to to send them to an external site. And upon finding this, the company blocked all access to the IP addresses, which the malware attempted to contact because they say it was a clumsy attempt to steal data, um, and no damage was done. And of course, this, um, uh, this would pre- – uh, blocking the IP addresses that the malware was t- attempting to to connect to would prevent it from succeeding if there were other – and apparently several other USB drives were found. They, like, went out and looked in through the parking lot and found some other ones that were identical. So they were hoping that one employee would just pick them up, uh, you know, find one and think, huh, I wonder if there's anything tasty on these. And in the process – you know get this thing installed inside the corporate network and of course we know that that this is the way that uh stuxnet was propagated because the the internal network that was being used by the Iranian nuclear enrichment process was deliberately isolated there were no networking connections yet that didn't stop it from jumping from, you know, using a USB drive and the zero-day exploits that Stuxnet was using at the time allowed it to jump the so-called air gap over to those systems and wreak the havoc that it was designed to. So, but, but you know, this is the kind of thing going on, uh, you know, at at the corporate espina- espionage level is let's just, you know, toss some USB drives around and maybe we'll get lucky. And if not, we'll <laughs> We'll send targeted email or whatever it takes in order to to get inside this company whose network we want to be in. Spearfish. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just picked up on this. I thought maybe you would have some more news about it, Leo. And that is that uh, Mac OS X Mountain Lion, the Golden Master, was just released to developers. Uh, It's apparently, the rumors are, it's scheduled for release on July 25th. So pretty soon and i couldn't i was looking at it from a from a security angle was there any you know security news that i could bring to our listeners and all i really saw was more ui sort of things where they're they're continuing to move os 10 and ios closer together mostly by moving os 10 closer to the 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 feel and features of I, of the ios platform
0: The big change, and by the way, of course, no one knows dates, but uh, they have said, Apple has said the end of July, so it will be without a doubt in the next couple of weeks. And the 25th seems reasonable. They have an earnings call on the 24th. Last time, they announced that Lion would be available the day after the earnings call, which this time would be the 25th. And I
1: did hear that there was some employee... Um, yeah, there's an announcement know, that went out saying, yeah. you know, plan to work late on the 24th. Those so, are pretty you know, much like,
0: useless. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Take it as a veteran Apple watcher because they do overnights all the time. But yeah. there is a thing, and I would love for you at some point to look at it. There is a security feature that is significant in the mountain lion. It's called Gatekeeper. Okay. And this is, there's a couple of very big changes, but the, the key to Gatekeeper is that from now on, Uh, you will have a setting on all uh, OS X devices that uh, control what's installed. So it's going to be a little bit like iOS or Android, you know. And by default, you'll only be able to install from the Mac App Store. You have a box that says Mac App Store and identified Developers. And Apple will have a certificate situation, you know, a public key crypto certificate identifying developers or... Uh, the least secure, of course, the way it is now, you can download anything, anytime, anywhere, free for all, free for yeah. all. So these, I think, this is really great. I I'm not sure what the default setting is. The way it's marked on their uh, Apple website is the middle setting, which is actually probably what most people will want, which is either buy it from the Mac App Store or by a uh, developer with a certificate. So you malware, of course, you know, unless they can figure out a way wow. to hack their certi- certificate situation, will never have a you know real identity. Right. So uh, this is, uh, I think Gatekeeper is going to be a significant uh, feature, security feature. And they are now requiring developers to, uh, who want either to be in the App Store or a certificate to identify ahead of time what kinds of access to the operating system they want. there will be sandboxing. Oh, and okay. if you do not
1: identify, you won't have, for instance, let's say you want to have access to the file yeah. system. You this is major uh, move, yeah, major changes, huge. and we've we've talked about the sandboxing in OS 10 before, right? And so they must be moving it, moving it forward. In effect,
0: they're going to kind of somewhat require it. You know, you'll have yeah. a choice. They're also, um, uh, let's see, I think that they are adding uh, address uh, randomization. I don't know if they had that before, but they certainly will have it now. The address space, uh, you know, data space uh, randomization.
1: Yes, ASLR. ASLR. What I remember was that they it was not as robust as it could be, right. and that they would they were going to be increasing it to make it more useful somehow. My suspicion is that the, this
0: will be the beginning of that, and then they are up uh, adding to the privacy controls. So, um, as as you know, the Do Not Track setting will be added to Safari, uh, not by default on, but it will be there, and um, yep. you can limit or block cookies and limit website access to location services. I think. They're going to have a password uh, built-in password generation assistant. They've always had that, but it's been hidden in the keychain. Now it'll be much more
1: uh, public. Uh, and I, I think I th- it's a it's like twenty dollars, right, to upgrade It's twenty
0: dollars. It. Almost everybody will do it. That's the way it is yeah. in the Apple world. People tend to do, do upgrades more so than in the Windows world. Uh, and it's an App Store uh, update, so you just go to the App Store, you download it, and it installs. Ah, nice. uh, yeah. So I'm I, I think this is a this is a a, a major move. Uh, towards security, there's un underlying stuff that Apple doesn't talk about. Any malware stuff that Apple doesn't talk about much in right. OS 10, and I suspect that will also be beefed up. So yes, I think there are actually some significant security implications to uh,
1: cool the new one. So um, uh, f Secure, the well-known security company that we refer to every so often when they come up with something interesting, discovered a. A cross-platform Java Trojan. It's the first one that we know of which runs on all three major platforms. There have been some Mac and Win cross-platform malware. This one now brings Unix and Linux into the fold. Uh, it, and, and they show uh, in their posting the source code for or, – or the Java code for this where – it, it uses the system object's get property uh, and, and, and gets the os.name, changes it to lowercase, and then it checks to see if that contains the string win. If so, it customizes some code and, in, and installs the Windows-specific malware. If not, it checks that string to see if it contains the substring mac. If so, it installs the Macintosh variant hmm. of the malware. Wow, that's pretty sophisticated. Otherwise, it checks to see whether that OS name either contains an NIX <laughs> or an or an NUX. Wow, and if it's either of those, it installs the uh, Linux Unix uh, malware. So uh, they called it Trojan Downloader Java Slash A um for the Java component and then either W thirty two OS X or Linux get shell A for the three different versions. And interestingly the OSX or the OS ten uh is a power PC binary? <laughs> they couldn't so be bothered to... to update it for <laughs> crying out loud. That's ancient history. <laughs> so you have to have Rosetta installed on, on an Intel platform. And, oh, and Rosetta,
0: Rosetta does it. not come with Macs anymore. So th- either they're intentionally targeting old systems, That's or freaky, or they don't yeah. know what they're. They don't. You know, maybe they just don't know how to update the code.
1: Yeah, odd, That's weird, very odd. And and when you get infected by this multi-headed hydra uh it connects to a command and control server and awaits further instructions um and that's you know typically downloading and executing additional malware they have been monitoring the command and control server with their own honeypot install and so far no instructions have been forthcoming but uh you know maybe they the bad guys are waiting to acquire a uh, uh a critical mass before they start using it and then um, we also had a Dropbox spam and outage event in the last couple of days. European Dropbox users began receiving gambling casino spam to email accounts, which they only used and and set up just for Dropbox accounts, which was, of course, the canary in the coal mine that, oops, you know, somehow email accounts got loose from Dropbox and. The last posting I saw from Dropbox was at 3.37 p.m. Pacific time yesterday where they said – oh, and I, I should mention that there was also an outage. It um, about 30 minutes where Dropbox stopped working, and we don't know if it was Dropbox taking themselves offline in order to fix – the source of the security problem or I also heard reports that it was some sort of a denial of service attack against Dropbox. Um, So at this point, things are a little bit muddy because this has just happened. But uh, the Dropbox uh, uh, PR face said, we're aware that some Dropbox users have been receiving spam to email addresses associated with their Dropbox accounts. Our top priority is investigating this issue thoroughly and updating you as soon as we can. We know it's frustrating not to get an update with more detail sooner, but please bear with us as our investigation continues. And I want to thank Brian Krebs, who was my source for this information. He was on top of it and tracking it down. And while I'm thanking people, I want to thank Daniel, who's in Bedfordshire, England. Um, he said to he said Hi, Steve, Leo. I've been listening to you guys. Since the first episode, I want to thank you and Leo for making my journey to work so much more enjoyable. I bought a copy of Spinrite many years ago in support of your podcast, but never had the opportunity to use it. Well, it finally happened. My hard disk failed. And rather than worry about data loss, and he said, friends, fortunately, I use Carbonite. He said, I immediately went looking for my copy of Spinrite. I popped it in. And two hours later, I was up and running again. So yet another hard drive saved. Thank you for a wonderful podcast and building an HDD recovery tool that does what it says on the tin for a very affordable price. Does
0: it come in a tin? Uh,
1: No. (laughs) I like the idea, though. I love it. Put it in a tin. Love love (laughs) the jargon. And then... In in Bedfordshire, England, he says, keep calm and carry on. Best it. regards, Daniel. Isn't that great? Daniel, thanks <laughs> for the report. Well, uh, before we get
0: to uh, our Paul Vixie uh, conversation, I'd like to, if you don't mind, just mention our friends at audible.com. I haven't had an Audible ad on the show in uh, quite some time. and uh, We still haven't got you listening, have we? we got to work on it. I'm you. just not a listener. I'm a reader. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, there are those who listen. Well, and I don't really have... I mean, I can really see, like, commuting. If you're a commuter, well, I mean, that's what our podcast audience keeps telling exactly. us they're, they're doing. Exactly, exactly. Just like Daniel. So, so many,
0: I mean, of our, many of our uh, listeners in, uh, yep. uh, are, are absolutely listeners to uh, podcasts. And I think probably many of them are also Audible subscribers. But if you're not, I uh, invite you to give Audible uh, a listen, so to speak. We have a way you can do that very easily. At audible.com I'm sorry audiblepodcast.com/ security now we could set you up with a um, audible account uh, It's good the gold account is what we'll be uh, getting you and uh, that that the nice thing about this is the uh, first uh, month is free so that gives you a uh, it's a it's a book a month account so that gives you a, uh, a month free of audible.com and uh and you know not a bad idea to take advantage of this get a get a book for free browse around here's my suggestion how you should do this browse around audible for a little bit uh and look at all the titles there are uh, it's a lot to see there are 100 and um some thousand titles in here and all kinds of stuff there's history i listen to a lot of history on uh, audible.com i really love the variety of history but there's also uh um let's see there's history there's nonfiction, there's you fiction know sci- there's know sci-fi, sci-fi. Fiction. yeah yep. in fact your favorite um, the honor harrington series i believe oh. is complete on here let me just check
1: um, if there are 57 books then it is
0: complete well there are not 57 books but there <laughs> sometimes it seems how about 14 books i think that's that's the number that's the full ah, number yeah. Uh, David Weber's amazing series. So, you know, that would be a good choice. I know a lot of you are, in fact, um, sci-fi fans. But there's all all kinds of stuff. Here's a dramatization of Macbeth. Um, Spy the lie. Former CIA officers teach you how to detect deception. There's a lot of security stuff on here as well. Um, So here's the deal. I'm not going to tell you what to listen to. We recommend Audible books all the time. But I am going to invite you to visit the site, browse around. There's even, you know, I know many of you are Harlequin Romance fans. There's no no. bestsellers, award winners. Everything on here is great. I guarantee it. Uh, You can preview before you uh, buy a book. and So I think that's probably a good idea. Listen to the reader a little bit. Let's see here. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What the rich teach their kids about money. That the poor and the middle class... See, this would be useful. Do not... ...of contrasting points of view. One of a rich man and one of a poor man. So you can listen to these uh, on the site for a little bit just to see if you like it. What the... Oh, here's a good one. What the most successful people do before breakfast. A short guide to making over your mornings. What an interesting idea. ...my family who quite reasonably... Expected the hours after school and work to be family time. So any kind of the barefoot executive, how about that? The ultimate guide. Let me go back. That looked kind of fun. The barefoot executive, the ultimate guide. Oh, where'd it go? I lost it. <laughs> to something. Here it is. To being your own boss and achieving financial freedom. Sci-fi fiction, nonfiction history. Technology, there's a ton of science and technology. I listen to a lot of science books on here. The thing about reading uh, or listening to Audible books is, uh, here's Ray Kurzweil's newest, The Singularity is Near. Oh, this is, this is great stuff. This is science fiction couched in fiction and nonfiction. So here's the deal. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. And uh, sign up for the gold account. Is Daniel Suarez's new one on here? <gasps> is Kill Decision out yet? Not yet, but any minute now that's going to be out. If you want to get get started, Demon and Freedom would be a great place to uh, start. Um, AudiblePodcast.com slash security now. Sign up for the gold account. That's a book a month. First month's free. That means your first credit is free. but it's And yours to cancel at any time, so you can keep that book forever if you don't want to pay anything. But I think you're going to want to stick around. Great stuff. Richard Dawkins has a new one. Love his stuff. The magic of reality. How we know what's really true. Wow, that sounds interesting. Going to call something real if we can detect it directly with one of our five senses. What about a distant galaxy too far away to oh, be... I'm adding that to my wish list. That is awesome. <laughs> I love his stuff. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. Give it a try. We know you'll love it.
1: All right, back we go to the uh the task at hand, Mr. Steve Gibson. You know, I I did realize I was thinking about uh commuting and it is now the case that the standard image you see of any sort of um gym club environment is everybody oh, yeah. with things in their ears as they're on their treadmill or they're, you know, they're doing their machines. We don't we don't know if they're listening to music, but could also be Audible podcast.
0: I really so. like listening to uh, books because, um, uh, you know, you don't have enough time in the world to read, frankly. Yeah. And uh, so that hour a day that I work out, that's that's an hour a day of extra reading. I think that's yeah. really, really nice.
1: Okay, so All right. who is Paul Vixie? I, uh, I pulled together some sort of interesting and fun bio stuff because I wanted to give our listeners a sense for who this was who wrote what I will then read. Um so he's got his PhD. Uh, I put PhD in DNS. Um but he <laughs> That's true. He, he is Dr. Paul Vixie. Um he's the chairman he's currently the chairman and founder of Internet Systems Consortium, ISC, who internet uh savvy people know is the is the publisher and maintainer of Bind. And
0: by the way, the people who ran the uh, FBI server for them.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, and I said, I, 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 I as I was re- researching this, I said I note that Paul was also previously president of ISC, in addition to chairman and founder. Because I found this dated February fifteenth. I'm sorry, January fifteenth of 2011. He says in quotes, "I am relieved," and then he said that lovely dub- double entendre is what Captain Pike. Said to Captain Kirk. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That is nerdy. (laughs) At at the end of last summer's most excellent reboot of the Star Trek series. (laughs) I'm likewise I am likewise and you remember what like Pike was in his wheelchair at that time. And he said, I am relieved. He said, I am likewise relieved to have been relieved of my longtime post as president of ISC by my good friend and long associate Barry Green. I continue at ISC as chairman and chief scientist, which is the equivalent to me of escaping to the candy factory. <laughs> when ISC was smaller, this was the half of my job I loved most. So, this is Paul's way of saying, you know, I love the technology, but I was president for a while. And boy, am I glad that I get to hand that off now so I can just get to, you know, play with the technology again. So he was the principal author, as I mentioned before, of Bind from versions. He, he, he took it up at version 4.9 and carried it through 8.2. And I'm sure most of our listeners know that it is the leading DNS server software in use today. You know, there are other server companies. I mean, you know, for example, OpenDNS famously uses their own. Microsoft got into the game late, but... You know the big DNS servers, the big iron DNS servers, they're universally running BIND. it is like it's the gold standard. Um, Paul was the principal author of the DNS RFCs. Uh, he, he did RFC 1996, which is the DNS Notify RFC, which is, provides a means for for a DNS server to notify one that is authoritative to it that it's got changes in its records. RFC 2136, which is the DNS update uh, spec. RFC 2671, which is uh, eDNS, our DNS extension fields and how they're handled. Then he co authored 1876, which is DNS loc. 2317, which is DNS for CIDR. Um, for the, wh- where you don't just have networks that are A, B, and C class, but you have flexible uh, m- masking so you can sort of tune networks to whatever size you want. And RFC 2845 for DNS TIG. So, I mean, he's like, you know, really been into it. And I found another little thing written um, about him is, uh, that, that says he served as president of MAPS, PAIX, MIBH, as CTO of um, above net mfm and the on the board of several for-profit and non-profit companies he served on the aaron board of trustees since 2005 where he served as chairman in 08 and 09 and is a founding member of ICANN, the root server system advisory committee rssac and ican security and stability advisory committee ssac vixie has been contributing to internet protocols and Unix systems as a protocol designer and software architect since 1980. So, what, 32 years? He's considered the primary author and technical architect of Bind 8, which was, for those who don't know, a major rewrite uh, to, like, bring it current. And, you know, these, the open source projects do, if they have a really long history, they tend to get a little, you know, crufty over time. And so every so often you have to just say, okay, wait a minute, we're going to take everything we've learned and we're just going to start again. And so, um, you know, it was time to do a, a major rewrite of the, of the server platform. And he hired many of the people who wrote Bind 9 and the people now working on Bind 10. Um, so he's, you know, he's really steering the future of DNS on the Internet. Um, uh, and then in something completely different, but I just thought this observation was interesting. I found where he had written something sort of sad, but it demonstrates that he does have his finger on the pulse. He wrote, most new domain names are malicious. He said, I'm stunned by the simplicity and truth of that observation. Most new domain names are malicious. Every day, lots of new names are added to the global DNS. And most of them belong to scammers, spammers, e-criminals, and speculators. The DNS industry has a lot of highly capable and competitive registrars and registries that have made it possible to reserve or create a new name in seconds and to create millions of them per day. Domains are cheap. Domains are plentiful. And as a result, most of them are dreck or worse. Which is sort of a sad statement, but, you know, unfortunately, this is what happens as something like this evolves and matures. So on March 27th, Paul wrote of his experience with DNS changer. He said, take down one fine night in November, 2011. I got an opportunity to get my hands dirty working on a project for the United States Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. They were planning to seize a bunch of computing assets in New York City that were being used as part of a criminal empire that we called DNS Changer, since that was the name of the software this gang used to infect half a million or so computers. I work... For Internet Systems Consortium, ISC, a small non nonprofit company headquartered in California, ISC is best known for our work on the domain name system, DNS, and our DNS software called Bind. But we have a growing internet security practice as well. My task that night in New York City was to install two replacement DNS servers supplied and operated by USC, I'm sorry, by ISC. This was important because the victims of DNS Changer were dependent on the assets that the FBI needed for evidence, and none of us wanted a half million DNS Changer victims to go dark. It was a little odd for ISC to send me, ISC's chairman and founder, on this job, but rank hath its privileges. It was a very long night since there was no way to complete a detailed plan before the takedown began. After the DNS changer gang was in custody and I could go intrusive on their equipment, it took me a couple of hours to figure out exactly how everything was wired together. Of course, I should say that by that he means, you know, he's just seeing some stuff running, but obviously he knows everything there is to know about the subject matter. But it's always the case when you're approaching something like this: it's like, okay, how in in down at the lowest level of detail have they done this? You know, what ports are they using? You know, do, you know what what relocators, what what routers, what what. Proxies. I mean, you know, he need to to really understand it. So he says um, it took me a couple of hours to figure out exactly how everything was wired together, and to move the first group of victims over to ISC's replacement DNS servers. It then took a couple more hours to move the to move and test the rest of the victims. All this long night, I had a cell phone headset in one ear and a half-dozen chat windows open on my laptop. The full takedown team was worldwide, and there were other actions occurring elsewhere. By the time we were done, and it was safe to power off the DNS changer equipment, it was 7 a.m., and I nearly missed my train. Note to self, if another chance comes along to run huffing and puffing, through the New York City subway system and Penn Station, trying to keep up with a younger and better conditioned member of FBI's New York division, take it, but maybe next time, bring better shoes. So about cleanup, he says, since the original court order that authorized ISC to install and operate these replacement DNS servers was due to expire on March 12th, 2012 a new dns changer working group dcwg was formed to handle victim notification and remediation we had roughly four months to identify and notify half million or so dns changer victims and to help these victims clean up their infected computers many victims would have to reinstall windows on their computers which at first was the only sure cure for this particular infection. On top of that, many of the victims have had their DSL or cable modems, their home routers, reconfigured by the DNS changer malware. So that's one point we want to talk about is, as we know, that this stuff was able to, to access their routers and change the settings there so that they were using ISC's replacement DNS servers even if none of their computers are still infected and even if none of their computers were running Windows. Most internet users do not have the skills necessary to check and repair the configuration of their home routers. And most Windows users are also unwilling to reinstall Windows. So, even when we could identify and notify a victim We had a hard time closing the deal. We didn't make it. When March 9, 2012 loomed, we still had hundreds of thousands of victims dependent upon ISC's replacement DNS servers. Therefore, the FBI asked the judge for an extension, and we were given four more months. No fooling around this time. There won't be another extension. It's now or never. Put up or shut up, etc. Noting that no private company or individual can legally operate this replacement DNS service on the open internet unless they have a judge's permission to do so, many ISPs are now starting up replacement DNS servers inside their own networks, accessible only by their own customers, in order to control the risks. ...that they would otherwise face on July 9th, 2012... ...when the second and final court order is due to expire. But that kind of risk management isn't the same as cleaning up the problem. I don't think we want to kick this can down the road. If an ISP wants to run a replacement DNS server... ...for the purpose of forcibly breaking these computers in small batches... ...to get their owners to call in and then ask for help... That's one thing. But it's just going to be a new permanent service that the ISP offers these customers. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He says, but if it's just going to be a new permanent service that the ISP offers to these customers, count me as opposed. We, as a digital society, and here's one of the things that I really loved about what he wrote. We, as a digital society, are much better... At strategies for coping, than we are at strategies for remediation, which is to say, for fixing. Is your DNS okay? A half dozen internet security teams around the world have created special websites that will display a warning message to potential victims of the DNS changer infection. For example, if you visit http://dns-ok.de, You'll get a German language page saying either that you appear to be infected or that you appear not to be infected. Andrew Fried, maybe it's Freed, and I created DNSOK.US. Sorry, DNS-OK.US, which I mentioned to our listeners a week or two ago for the same purpose. He says, though, of course, our page is in American English. The full list of this of these DNS checking websites is published on the dcwg's website along with a lot of information about the threat and arrests uh, uh, and the arrests the takedown the court orders and cleanup information for victims now that we've got all these websites that are able to tell someone if they're a victim and tell people and that tell victims what to do to clean up their computers and their home routers the problem seems to be getting people to care meaning People still aren't caring. Internet users are endlessly bombarded with warnings about their security and with offers of services and software, some of it apparently free, offering to make their computers healthier. The victims of DNS Changer are by this time jaded or overwhelmed or both. The Internet seems to be a very dangerous place. And most Internet users probably feel that they could spend more than half their waking hours just installing patches and responding to warnings. Unless they just put their heads down, ignore all that noise, and try instead to get their work or play done. I'm sympathetic to this mindset, says Paul. The problem is the Internet really is that dangerous. And people really do need to pay more attention to the dangers of unpatched or infected computers. Given that most people can't take the time to care enough about these dangers, their infected computers become a threat to everybody else, thus completing the cycle of dangerousness begetting more dangerousness. All those within the sound of my voice Please check out the DCWG website and find out if your DNS is okay. Ask your customers, your friends, and your family to do likewise. Or use this as an excuse to go visit the people in your life less technical than yourself and show them how to check their DNS. And so wrapping up under, he says, July 9 and beyond. On July 9, 2012, the replacement DNS servers operated by isc will be shut down remember he was writing this on march 27th so they will be shut down and any victims who still depend upon these servers will face new risks notice i'm not saying that they will go dark since that's not entirely clear some of them will go dark some of them will face long delays on every web page they visit Some might not show any symptoms at all. The the long-term risk I foresee is that some new criminal empire, or more than one, will offer services to again replace ISCs, and they will easily recapture a large part of the DNS changer victim population. There are ways to do this that don't leave tracks. So not every criminal who does this will be automatically and immediately detected, arrested, and charged. I would like to see these computers cleaned up so they don't pose a lasting but latent threat to the rest of us. Speaking of lasting, latent threats to the rest of us. Oh, I'm sorry. Speaking of lasting latent threats to the rest of us, I was part of the Confricker Cabal, recently immortalized by Mark Bowden's book, Worm. We still don't know the identities of any of the criminals who foisted Conficker on an unready world back in 2008. But we do know that the victim population has not dropped below 6 million. So we still collect the sinkhole data about these victims. We still report on it to network operators, and every year we buy another rack of disk drives to hold the next year or so worth of data. We're out of ideas for how to get people to care that their computers are infected with Conficker. These victims seem to feel that they have more important things to worry about. My gut feeling is that they're wrong. But I can't seem to prove it. My other gut feeling about this is that we, as a digital society, are doing this all wrong. Paul Vixie. Hmm. So there's a lot of things to think about there, Leo. Absolutely. Absolutely. I still think and you did the wrong thing, but that's... What's interesting, um, I was working with, with Jenny, uh, setting up a new laptop for her. Uh, hers was just getting old, and and I wanted to to get her set up with a new one and and we so we were going we were sort of inventorying her existing one. I wanted to in setting it up, not reinstall things she didn't use any longer. And it's funny because we were sitting side by side and dialogue boxes were popping up, which she was her immediate instinct was to close them. Say okay. And and it was it was educational for me because you know, I read these things you know i know that there's something that i'm being told and i wanted to know what it was but i mean you know jenny's is not a computer person she just wants to write her novels and screenplays and as paul says get on with her life and so this is all just intrusive for her and and she sees it as something she clicks okay to in order to you know just get on with what she's doing which I'm sure you know she's representative of the majority of, of PC users. as Paul writes, you know, somehow we haven't done a good job of this. Somehow we have I mean, and again, the, the, the listeners of this podcast are with you and me, Leo, but, but they represent the people, the broader, I mean the, the, this, this this narrower audience, the, the, the this uh, group. Who are the influencers of you know they're the people whose voice has been reached by paul um, and th- through this podcast and you know they're the tech support for their families and their neighbors and their coworkers, and doubtless they see this as you and I do that you know there there's something Not right about you know about unfortunately about the way this is working, and I thought these these numbers were very sobering. That you know, despite months of of DNS being misconfigured, there they were never able to get you know the the last third of these systems fixed, no matter you know how hard they tried. And here is six million machines infected with Conficker, and anybody who puts a packet sniffer out on the net is getting pinged by Code red and NIMda. they're still out there scanning the net, trying to infect machines you know I, and I coined the term as you know a you know decade ago IBR internet background radiation that 's what this stuff is it it's just it's become part of the ecosystem on the internet and it it is it is sad that that we've sort of abused. The, the, the users who just want to get their work done. You know, I detect a little
0: hint of uh, a kind of uh, common paternalism that you hear from uh, old geeks. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, uh, and a little bit of blaming the user. Um, you know, it's their fault. Um, and I think really he should take more blame for setting up a system that doesn't work and should be taking, putting more effort into fixing it than blaming the user. To be honest, Um, that's what, you know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of old time uh, geeks who say, well, if we could just get people to he says something, you know, the most important paragraph to me in here is he says, if an ISP wants to run a replacement DNS server uh, for the purpose of forcibly breaking these computers in small batches to get their owners to call in and ask for help, that's fine. But if it's just going to be a new permanent service that the ISP offers to these customers, count me as opposed. But that's exactly what he did. Uh, for seven months. I, I no longer blame the FBI. I think it was a little misguided on Paul's part. Um, but we could debate that. What I think the point that he makes that's interesting that I hadn't really thought about is had they just pulled down those servers, there's the risk, and there's the risk now, that some malicious entity would just recreate that a server at that address.
1: Yes, recapture. Exactly. Yeah. Re- and, and it was... The, the, the other thing he made clear that it wasn't obvious to me is that... Only by permission of a court could right. they operate servers at those addresses. Right. And and this point about the ISP is that an ISP can control their network. The ISP's network is not the public internet. They can see the outbound
0: traffic to that
1: DNS e- server. Exactly. Yeah. So they could set up some 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 filtering on their routers to route those malicious DNS IP queries to their own DNS servers and provide valid service to their customers. And then they also notice that the ISP does know who those people are because they're getting – every DNS query comes from an IP that the ISP controls. And so one by one, they they can log them and send them – you know, email, they have their email address, send them postal mail. I mean, they're probably charging them. So, you know, put a big red pink slip, you know, <laughs> fix you know it or else. In, in their bill. It's right. like, OK, you know, call us. Please call us. You know, you've got to, you know, your machine may still be infected. And in any event, it's still misconfigured. Nobody so,
0: wants to do that because the amount of support that's required oh. to fix it is so expensive, um that no isp wants to assume that mantle i could promise you it's just look at comcast how many millions tens of millions of users do they have they're the biggest isp in the country they start doing that they're responsible somehow for
1: fixing millions of computers fortunately yeah it does it does creep me out though i mean uh, just the idea that in every isp would be a dns server or or some filters Like permanently, it's just a redirect. It's just a redirect. It's a router saying, Hey, if they go to this
0: address, send them here. Yeah. It's not a hard thing to do. The problem I have with doing that is the same problem Vixie has. You cannot keep these infected machines online. You have to do something. My opinion is the best thing to do would have been just break it right up front. So, what if there's a howl of protest? Uh, Those people need to know immediately that they're infected
1: so that they can take action. Because so pres- the idea would be that they would uh, they would get a court order to a so-called black hole that IP that is they would not offer DNS services right. they would but but they would just acquire the IP and just like have the machines go dead yeah. and then the users would say oh crap uh, something's wrong Something's wrong. And then they would, you know, some of
0: them would call their ISP. Most of them would bring it into the shop or call me on the radio show. I wonder and we'd tell if, them what to do. The problem is those people for seven months have been running infected machines. And, you know, as you know, the chances that they have more than one infection are high.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there are some un unappreciated consequences, un, un, unappreciated by you and me. Well. Of doing that, see, we only think the, in terms I of know. webs. Like, what if their household alarm system is internet based, or their? But the damage uh, was done when they were infected by a DNS changer.
0: I don't. Th- I think for Vixie, for ICS, or for the FBI to assume responsibility at that point. There's also, and and I think this is really interesting: the, the notion that somebody might hijack that IP address. Yeah. Is uh, now I wonder if you get the court order and you take the IP address and you black hole it. That kind of protects you, doesn't it? I mean, they well, can, they sound- do control DNS.
1: So um, I don't know what the IP was or who actually owns the IP, but it must be that it was a foreign IP. Right. And so what they needed was they needed a, a – they they needed a court order in order essentially – to break that part of the internet, to say we're not going to allow people who are trying to get to that IP, that that valid IP owned by somebody else, we're we're not we're going to filter that, we're going to block that, right, and keep people from getting there. So, so and so the judge said, okay, but you can't do that forever. How long do you need? And they said uh, six months ought to do it. And it turns out or four months, I guess it was initially. And it's like oops, that wasn't enough time. So they went eight months. The interesting
0: thing is, and maybe this proves that their strategy worked, there we didn't hear a lot of howls of my internet None. Down. We didn't hear any. None. None. So maybe that seven months was, you know, useful in getting people or to fix it. Maybe the bad guys jumped in that quickly. <laughs> Ooh. That's a scary thought.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't so,
0: think th- that th- 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but if I mean, look. Doesn't doesn't I can control uh, the DNS servers? Can't they say, look, no one will ever have this uh, IP address?
1: No, it's it's that uh, they're blocks of IPs, and so this is some block of IPs owned by somebody. I don't Probably do more research. I was never, yeah, yeah, it, that, yeah, it's that kind of thing. And so yeah. it's like a valid. It's you know, all over the internet there are routers that are routing block that block of IPs. To somewhere, and so so
0: that's right. You can't
1: to, block an IP uh, unless right. you block it on all routers, right? And so, I mean, th- this was a major event in terms of 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 intercepting spe- a couple specific IPs and right. saying, "Nope, we're going to send them over," you know, right. over here.
0: No, I could see the Although- puzzle and I could see the challenge, and I and uh, I I'm, I'm sure that. Uh, People have thought a lot longer and harder than I have about this and
1: decided yeah, this see, was the right I'm, thing to do. I'm wondering if the if the trick here, Leo, is that we're not appreciating, we don't hear, yeah, the consequences. Death. Yeah, yes, yeah. that like it's more than just people not being able to, you know, log into, you know, their their uh, you know Facebook games or something. That you know that that taking DNS down for 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 like for organizations would be like a, a big problem right you know mission critical sort of stuff right. on the other hand you really don't want to be referencing evil dns servers that's no. that certainly has a, a set of consequences or as well.
0: continue to operate without knowing that you're operating an infected machine
1: yeah i now, think they
0: had a responsibility to let people know that there was something wrong
1: yeah i'm hoping that dns-ok.us still functions no it I mean, does not I wonder, ah that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure why it does not. Wow. Um, that seems
0: odd. Uh, if you go to dns-ok.us, uh, this is, this site can no longer determine if your system is infected. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, now the reason is that the re- the way it was working was, it, as we said when we were talking about uh-huh, Google – right. Um, is that they know that their server picked up your right. query, and in this case, they're no longer running the servers. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I, somebody, uh, Scott Michaud, is suggesting in the chat room, and this is certainly one of the things that I would have at least investigated, maybe they decided this couldn't be done, is to serve up the internet in an iframe. And all around that frame, say, warning, warning, warning! You have a virus. The problem is, we have trained users to ignore that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and that 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 requires content filtering too. So that's a step. They didn't further. want to get in
0: that deal, did they?
1: Yeah, and you can't do that for SSL. It's impossible right. to intercept that. So there will be a lot of limitations for that approach. Um, anyone who's interested, dcwg.org dot org is up. That's the the uh, URL that Paul references here as, um, as what to do from now on. And so there is a detect and fix and protect um, uh, items there. Uh, and so dcwg.org. It's the DNS uh, Changer Working Group is what that acronym yes, is. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, more information there. And uh, oh, there's an interesting word map. Shadow server has pulled together a word map based on country to illustrate which countries. Oop, it just changed. It's running some flash. Yeah, but it's
0: a t- it's a tag cloud of which countries are most infected. It's kind of interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah However, exactly. and
0: I think this is this is a symptom of. See, I th- I think that there uh, the problem is that these engineers don't really understand users. For instance, if you click the fix or I mean, the detect button, it sends you to. DNS dash which can no longer detect. So they didn't bother to update this uh page. Yeah. Um if
1: uh you know uh Wow, well, the United States is the biggest tag by far.
0: Yeah, but it was still us you know seventy thousand out of three hundred thousand. It wasn't a major it was a plurality. Okay. Yeah, um if Germany you go to the fix page, um yeah, it's okay. Wow, it's not very friendly. Yeah. I think that these, have- these guys, we need the sad thing is the engineers who understand this do not understand users. And the users don't understand the engineers. So there's a real impedance mismatch here. <laughs> That's the real problem. I love that. That's a great term for it. <laughs> so the, the tracks just don't meet in the middle. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know exactly what the solution is. I would say if I, I would say if I were Paul Vixie and company, I would take this as a huge wake up call because they don't want to have to ever do this again, and they need to figure out what's broken and fix it. Well, everything's broken. That's the problem, isn't it? It's pretty. <laughs> it's an intransigent problem. Really. It really is.
1: You know when you when my mom is typing http yeah. colon slash slash yeah. that tells you something you know this system was never designed for the applications it is seeing we're just sort of limping forward and and you know as he says, we as a digital society are much better at strategies for coping than we are at strategies for remediation and you know and it's interesting, I, I ran while I was also doing the research, I ran across some other comments about IPv6, and one of the problems it's had is that it, it doesn't really do anything that anyone is really sure they need. I mean, it doesn't offer, like, tremendously better benefits. It's like, yeah, well, we should be moving to it. Like, okay, but no one's in a big hurry to do that because everything's fine with, with IPv4. Right. Whereas when something comes along like SSH, it overnight it replaced all the insecure right. alternatives to that because everyone said wow this is much better so you know a protocol that that really oh i think this is in 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 regard to speedy and this it was the guy grumbling about you know http 2.0 and <laughs> when are we going to get that and what's it going to do and he was he used ssh as an example of a protocol that really did offer benefit and wow it got adopted right and here http 1.1 seems to be good enough and we're not sure where to go from there.
0: Well, I think that's why it comes down to operating system manufacturers making locked down operating systems so malware has a harder time getting on them.
1: These uh, are all good incremental you know, movements. Yes, and and the http or the ssl everywhere. Yep. Google switching to https um routers you know, things, that are locked
0: down a little better.
1: Yep, and th- you know options like no track that allow or, or or do not track that allow users to just sort of express a preference. Which is, this? I mean, this is all new technology. These are, you know, this is the way we'll get there is a little bit at a time. And as things get old enough, we can finally let them go. I mean, that's always been Microsoft's strategy is they keep the old stuff alive for a long time. And we just lost compatibility with 16-bit code. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's
0: the problem is this stuff is starting to get antiquated and it's falling apart and it's going to get worse and worse. And you can't just pull out the pull the rug. And that's what I think what that really this ICS thing is saying is look, you can't pull the rug out. You gotta fix it uh, before you pull the rug out. And so we want yeah, to be eight he, months to it, try to fix
1: things. I think I may have mentioned that that my buddy and yours, Mark Thompson, he when he switched to Windows seven, he was stunned. To see how much 16-bit code he was still using, still running. Wow! Because he was just, you know, I mean, I, I, it, I'm. It's one of the reasons I'm staying is I'm using Brief, right? Which is a 16-bit. Brief. You're brief kidding me. My- <laughs> That's a DOS program. <laughs> hey, I can wave my BlackBerry in front of the camera, Leo, and you'll see. That <laughs> I'm really a dinosaur. Gibson uses DOS.
0: Yep. Steve Gibson does this show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's 1800 UTC. Watch live. We. You know, the chat room can uh, and I talk back and forth, and it's a good way to kind of be part of the show. But, of course, we make on-demand versions available always after the fact, both audio and video. In fact, Steve has an unusual version that uh, only this show has. Uh, two things, really. He has a 16-kilobit audio version for really small downloads.
1: One and, the size.
0: Yeah, and transcriptions, uh, which are great if you like to read along. Uh, He also uh, has a lot of other stuff, including Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance utility, right there at GRC.com. You must go there and get it. You can follow him on the Twitter at (laughs) SGGRC. And uh, we make the uh, larger files, uh, audio and video, available at twit.tv slash sn for security now. Or, you know, go to iTunes and subscribe.
1: Next week, episode 362 will be a Q&A. So grc.com slash feedback. Send your thoughts, your questions, your comments, whatever you want. I will go through the mailbag and and we'll select a bunch and uh, and discuss them next week. grc.com slash feedback. Thanks,
0: Steve. Thanks, Leo. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on Security Now.
1: Right Security Now.